I grew up in Southern California. This is the sermon time now, sorry. Um, um, I grew up in Southern California, and um, in Southern California, we had a lot of droughts. Um, it's actually just an irrigated desert, so that's part of the reason. Um, and actually, the Californians always got in trouble because they would steal water from other parts of the country, it seems. And, uh, but, you know, there were these big, big, big reservoirs in California, and basically, they were a place where the water, when it would come, it would all be gathered there. And, um, and those reservoirs, um, at certain times, the dams would be opened, and then the water would flow out, and it would go and it would, it would refurbish and rehydrate all the land. And, um, but there were times when I was growing up when we actually had water restrictions. I mean, we'd get a notice, you know, from the water company saying, you cannot water your plants at certain times of the day. And so there were times when it was really dry. And I think that sometimes in life, it's like that. Sometimes in life, we get dry. And we actually need to be re-energized, rehydrated. Jesus said it this way, actually, in John 7, 38. And this is in relationship to the Holy Spirit. So we're in that series on the Holy Spirit. He said, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. So Jesus himself said, that there will be an abundance of overflow in your life that will then flow out to others. And when we get dry, that, um, that overflow disappears. And then we get burned out and we struggle. So we've been in this series now for a couple of weeks. This is the third week. Um, we've seen that there were these prophecies about the Holy Spirit coming that have now come true. Um, they are this promise of God enacting and doing the things that God wants. Uh, now the followers of Jesus are um, actually inhabited. They're indwelt by the Spirit. And it's the same Spirit that will guide them and empower them to do the things that God has in mind for them to do. When I was a kid in Southern California, my mom went to church. My dad didn't. Um, so, I, you know, as a kid, I sort of thought, well, maybe church isn't for guys or you know wasn't quite sure what all that meant but my mom would say hey it's time to get in the car come on we're going to be late to church and she'd sort of hurt us up and maybe maybe you do that with your kids I don't know but you know it's that sort of come on it's time to go it's time to go and so we'd hustle off and we'd go to church and um, we'd sit in the pews and sit in Sunday school and all that kind of thing and then then it was time to leave church like we were going to leave church and go home and the interesting thing in our family is we never really talked about church during the week, never really thought much about it, actually. Um, I sort of came to believe that church was a place that you went and then you left. But Jesus is saying something different. He's actually saying um, in this passage, you are the church. So when we go someplace, we are already the church. Um, we are that representative of Christ wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, whether it's in our neighborhoods or wherever we find ourselves. And that word for church in the New Testament actually means that we've been called out. And, and it has this idea that God has actually called us out. And Paul would say later that we've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. So we've been called to be the church. Christopher Wright says this. He wrote a book called Missional God, and I 
I love reading, so sometimes I like to quote stuff. He says, he said it this way, though. Listen to how he turns this idea of church around a little bit. He says, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church as it is that God has a church for his mission in the world. You see, mission wasn't made for the church, but rather the church was made for mission. So we are the people of God that are on mission because God has called us to be these people that make a difference in the world. And it goes all the way back to this call of Abraham and Sarah where God says, I am calling you because I'm going to bless you, but through you I'm going to bless the whole world. We're called to be that blessing. So may that be a sign from us. Um, as we go through these next months, let's be the church together. Let's partnership. Let's help each other. Let's walk together. That's what Josh would want, and that's the right thing for us. So in this Holy Spirit week three, we already heard about Joel's prophecy. There's this prophecy given centuries ago that um, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on your male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit is what Joel wrote. And then in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit actually descends and Pentecost happens and this church springs to life full of power and vitality. And we know that oftentimes church life is tough, right? I mean, it can stretch you, it can challenge you, oftentimes it can disappoint you. But it's also a call to a deeper relationship with God and also a call to deeper relationship with each other. Jesus says, love God, love neighbor. And, you know, when we read what that neighbor looks like sometimes, it's not somebody we really want to hang out with. It's actually somebody that um, we probably would ignore and not be around if we had a choice. We're also called to suffer together. We're called to deal with pain together. And the reason because of this is because we have a whole new identity. We are no longer just individuals but we are part of God's church. We're committed to each other. We're friends, brothers and sisters in this Lord Jesus Christ who's called us to be the people of God together. So today, I want us to think about that. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, sort of moving through the passage, looking at what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ. And before I set that up, I want to say that um, it's an interesting thing what Paul does because Paul talks about how, um, you know, there's this description of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about how every single member of the church is important and how they've all been gifted, and we'll look at all that in detail. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, at the other sort of these bookend chapters, there's all this stuff happening in the church that's all centered around the misuse of gifts. And in the middle of that, we find 1 Corinthians 13. Paul just sort of plops that down right in between and says, here's the church when it's healthy, here's the church when it's a mess, and, and here's something for you to think about. And he writes this, he says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, 
then I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then he says that love is patient, love is kind. It's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. Sometimes um, we make the mistake of thinking that the early church never really faced any problems, uh, but actually it's not true. There were hurtful relationships in that first century church. Um, there was times of division. Actually, Corinthians also points to that. Um, there was a love feast that they had where they actually took communion together. And one of the criticisms that was at that feast that some of the, um, the members of the church were getting drunk. So, you know, there's some stuff going on there. And I think that it's important for us to realize that um, they were learning what it meant to follow Jesus. And that's what we're learning as well. Uh, Rick Warren, who's a uh, pastor in Southern California, a uh, guy I respect a lot, sort of been a, a long-distance mentor to me in a lot of ways. Um, he was leading a, a pastor's conference at his church, and, um, and he decided that when he met people, he'd say to them, hey, oh, you're from su such and such a church. I've heard about your problem. You know, and the funny thing about it was nobody said what problem they all said oh yeah we know about that and we're working on it right so here's the universal factor right like you know we don't want to hurt each other but it's tough it's tough to be together but it's good as well so what's the premise for this message well let me get to it so we're looking at how every single part of the church every believer is a part of the church that every single person that's a part of the church matters and counts because we are the body of Christ together. Every single believer in Christ has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, then the Holy Spirit actually indwells you and comes to live within you. And you're given a kind of what's called a spiritual gift. It's actually the Greek word that means grace. So we're, we're given gifts of grace so that we can be the body of Christ together. Every single one of us matter to God. Every single one of us have been given God's gifts so that we can build each other up, support each other, and love each other. So let's look a little bit more. I'm going to actually go now to um, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Um, read along and listen as we go. So now concerning spiritual gifts, somebody's getting paged. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, probably the Holy Spirit's doing that, right? So, <laughs> I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray by idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul sort of starts off here and he says, okay, so you know who you were before. Like in this life you had before you knew Christ, 
you were following idols and you were putting the wrong kinds of things at the center of your life. But, but now you've turned and you've now said that you want to follow Jesus. And in the midst of that then, um, those who are able to make that kind of proclamation that Jesus is Lord, Paul says, you cannot make that statement unless it's made by the Holy Spirit in you. So he wants us to realize that this is the big contrast. It's this old life that we used to live, but now we're living in a, a whole new way. And in that way, God is meeting us and leading us and, and allowing us to have this proclamation that, that we all believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that we're following him, and that he is the one who's directing us. And then in verses 4 through 7, he goes on and he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but there's the same spirit. There's varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So it's interesting, you know, here it is. It's a kind of unity and diversity, right? So the goal is not that we would all look alike, all be alike, all do the same things, but, but rather God is very good with diversity. Um, God wants you to practice and do the things that God is calling you to do. And so in this, there's a kind of unity. Jesus calls us together to be a family. But there's a diversity because we have different gifts and we practice those gifts differently. And we'll get into that more in just a couple minutes. And this whole idea is that God is actually making this spirit manifest in our lives, which, you know, it's sort of an interesting word. I mean, what does it mean that God's manifesting the spirit in our lives? Well, it means that actually um, the spirit's showing up. Actually, the spirit's doing things that we cannot do under our own power. Uh, the spirit is coming and building the body so that we can do it for the common God common good. It's the Spirit's job to actually build up the church. So what is that common good? Well, the common good is that um, so we can minister to each other, so we can actually care for each other, we can suffer together, we can um, rejoice together, we can be together. And so then Paul begins to launch into a list of spiritual gifts. And, you know, it's interesting, I think about this and I think um, this is a pretty wild list of spiritual gifts that he has in 1 Corinthians. Um, but listen and see, because one of the things that's true is that every one of us, um, by God's grace, these gifts of grace have been given spiritual gifts. So I wonder, what is your spiritual gift? So here's a list, and there's a couple more. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 8 says, To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. So God has gifted um, the church. He goes on at the end of the chapter, and we're not going to read this passage, but he talks about that God has also given apostles and prophets, teacher, teachers, deeds of power, gifts of healing, service, leadership. These are all spiritual gifts. There's two other places in the New Testament where there's spiritual gift 
lists. One is in Romans 12, where it talks about prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. And then also in Ephesians, Paul talks about these sort of roles and stations and um, apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, and shepherds. And then in verse 11, he says this, that all these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. So what does all that mean? We just talked about a lot of stuff. Well, here's the deal. It means that we don't get to choose our gifts. They are gifts of grace. God gives to each church exactly what that church needs. And part of the reason for that is because it's God's church, not just ours, but it's God's church. So one of the questions always comes, and, um, and actually, if you're interested in it, I have a spiritual gift inventory I could give you at some point. Um, but how do you discover your gifts? Are you aware of what your gifts are? Because Paul is saying very specifically that each part of the body is gifted. We all bring a piece that we all need together. I, I have a couple ideas for you to think about. Um, I think one way to actually discover your gifts is to ask somebody who knows you very well what they think your gifts are. Another way to do it is simply for the next month or so, sort of listen to what people say they appreciate about you. Because when they say they appreciate about something about you, they're probably identifying one of your spiritual gifts. And if you're interested, I'll give you that inventory. You can work through that and look at it as well. But what's happening is um, God is leading them in a way of being this body together. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. So in my life, there's been two sort of primary gifts I've always had. Um, one of them has been the gift of encouragement. And um, the encourager is the person who sort of comes alongside others and walks with them and, um, and sort of does life together. And then the other gift has been the gift of teaching. And and I've seen over and over again how God has used those gifts to, um, to sort of fan into flame the things that I'm doing. It, it's interesting because one of the ways I oftentimes know that, um, that God's showing up is that more happens than what I'm able to do. And I know that sounds sort of weird and sort of mysterious, but the reality is that, um, that God always shows up and does more than I could ever accomplish. And it's part of, I think, the sign of the Spirit working and being involved. So, all of these gifts, the key to them is they're given so that we can use them to minister to each other, to build the body of Christ up. And Paul says in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, the one, are one body, so it is with Christ. And he's going to now start to talk about how um, you know, we are this body. What does that mean? We, we are the hands and the feet and everything else that God wants us to be. But there's a diversity in that as well. And then he says in verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. So here's part of the miracle that God's done. Um, God takes all of us regardless of our background, regardless of our past, and by the Holy Spirit, 
baptizes us into one body to be the church together. So when you think about who you are, you are God's chosen person. God has chosen you. God has brought you to be part of the church. And the Holy Spirit dwells within you and will lead you in the ways that God wants you to go. You know, it's interesting. Um, church must have been a fun thing in the first century because you'd have this very diverse crowd, right? So you had the Jews and the Greeks who actually never got together. They stayed away from each other. But, but in the first century church, they sat in the same place together. You had the, um, the slaves and the free. You had the masters and the slaves that would come to church together. And when they were in church, they weren't a slave or a master. They were actually equal because the one Lord that they all sought after was Christ. And it was a miracle. They were God's chosen people. No longer who they used to be, but now this new creation in Jesus Christ. And our, their identity was not found in who they used to be or in that station in life in which they found themselves. Their identity was found in this risen Lord who was with them and guiding them. So Paul, you know, uses this whole idea of baptism here as a kind of way of talking about this union that we've been called for a common purpose. We, we all have drunk, he says, of the same spirit and this idea that, that God is actually working in us, using us, connecting us to each other, making us together God's people. And it allows the body of Christ to be very diverse and yet at the same time to be unified and, and takes out of question all these um, sort of ways that we categorize people by race or gender or some kind of you know, physical or intellectual ability or even social status and says, no, that's not what it's about. It's all about the fact that you are now the church. Christ has called you because Christ loves you and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you and you are God's people. So let's just think about this for a second. What does that mean for us? Well, it means, first of all, that we really do need each other. We do. You know, um, we need each other. We need to walk with each other. It also means that your presence here matters because when you come here, you're bringing an important piece that nobody else can bring. Your gifts are here because God wants to use you to help build this body. You know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I'd like to serve, but I'm not sure how to get signed up to do that. And I would just say, you know, back of the bulletin, fill that out. If there's something you want to do, something you're concerned about, I mean, please take advantage of that. That's what it's there for. But we would love um, to have you step up, even as Josh said in the video. You know, it's going to be an interesting time for a while here. But um, at the same time, we're a church, you know. We're not just one person. We're a church. And, um, and God has gifted us, and God will be with us in the midst of all that's going to happen. So, so if you're interested in stepping up, let us know. We'll embrace that and be happy for that and, um, and rejoice in that as well. And then in verse 14, Paul says this. He says, um, Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Um, we're, we're a family. Um, as broken as we may be, we're a group. We're the church, the people of God. And sometimes 
some of these gifts get valued more than others. So it's a tough thing. I mean, Paul goes on, he says, you know, imagine this, and, but in God's economy, all these gifts are important. They're all necessary. They're all part of it. Um, we have that tendency to think maybe something's more important than what I bring, but here's Paul's comment to that. He says, if the foot would say, verse 15, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Instead, he says, sort of think this way, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And those members of the body that we think are less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our most more respectable members do not need this. So the fact is, we need each other. So I'm going to actually um, have, have you watch a video for a second here, um, see if you can get something out of this. Church, Nick and Pastor here to bring you pleasure once again and joy. Today we're talking about spiritual gifts, and today I have a good old friend, Mr. Potato Head. A church is called the Body of Christ, and Mr. Potato Head here represents our Body of Christ, which is our church. And we have all these parts right here, which represents us. We got the nose, the Mickey Mouse chocolate thing, feet, eyes, arms, ears, everything. If we start doing whatever we want and trying to stick each other wherever we want and we do what we want to, we will look like a gross mess of a potato. Wait, what? You you want to be a, you want to be a nose? Fine. Looks kind of weird now. Always talks back. I'm a little sassy. Yeah, what what? You, you want you want to be feet? You're gonna hate it down here, just so you know. But, that, that would just be too painful. You, I don't want to hurt you. What do you want to be? You want to be a fashion model, eh? Oh, I am your father. No! Oh, what, what, what's this? Oh, suitcase. This must be the missionaries. So somebody thinks they're a mouth. But really they're an arm and they try to put their, their, their arm in their mouth. How is he going to eat just like put put his hand on his food, and then just like absorb it through his hand. Ah, I broke his butt, and we do not want to look like this thing. The thing can't even stand up. Say, and imagine if like your nose was near your butt, like where your arm should be. No one wants to smell that, or 
Imagine trying to eat where where your head is. Imagine if it was picture day. Like, just say, smile. Talking about eyes on the back of your head. So this is our church. Uh, it doesn't work that well. It's kind of messy and uncomfortable and not nice to look at. So the question here is, where do you fit in? Because, you know, a church needs its parts and every person here needs to be a red spot. And once now I reassemble Mr. Potato Head here and make him look nice, adorable, and cute. Now we've got a positive Peter with thumbs up. That is our church. Beautiful with a giant red nose. That is our church. It looks nice, it's beautiful, and our Mr. Potato Head. No, king of the church. So the question is, where do you fit in church? Are you the ears? Help us listen to God. We've got the mouth that can talk to God, prayer, worship, and everything like that. We need feet to travel places because. And the arms that are, can do God's work. So everybody's got to find their place in the church. And no matter what, if your nose, eyes, mouth, arm, balloon, ear, crown, feet, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. All of you, 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 is a part of it. Like all these pieces fitting with the church, everyone's a part of the church. Everyone fits in and that's what makes us a good church. Without you, it would not be the same. You want a hot dog? Yeah, you do. Thumbs up. Does this count as a mugging? So we need each other. And, um, and Paul has written this so that we'll understand that there won't be any kind of dissension within the body. Verse 25, he says, um, but the members may have the same care for each other. If one member suffers, all the members suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. And then he sort of wraps it all up in verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So Paul talks about this whole idea that, you know, we've been called to be these people of God. How do we live into that? How do we understand that? And then he admonishes them, actually, um, in verse 31. He says, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And what is that more excellent way? Well, it's the way of loving each other and being there for each other and walking together in the truth and in the love. So I've got a couple of takeaways from this that I want to just share with you. Um, and I think, you know, you get this already. You probably already heard it. But just to summarize it again, um, like a body needs all the parts, we need each other. Um, we're united, linked together, in relationship with each other, with Jesus Christ front and center leading us and walking with us. We're best when we're together, when we're healthy, when we're unified, when we're moving out together. Each of us brings an important part of what it means to be the church, but also what it means to allow God to form us together as a church. And we're called to love each other 
um, as Christ has loved us. And he's the one who is the head of the church and makes all the difference in the world for us. So I'm glad you're here today. Um, you are an important part of God's plan for this place. I'm going to invite the band to come up and want to lead us in prayer. So, holy God, um, thank you that nothing ever surprises you, but that you know us and you know everything about us and you still love us and use us and work in us and, uh, and desire us to be your people. And so today, God, I pray that as we've um, been in the midst of all this and uh, heard Josh's video, I, I pray for healing for Josh. I pray for healing for us. I pray... God, that you, Holy Spirit, would bridge the gap and bring comfort and peace and understanding into all of our hearts and lives. And God, we thank you that, um, that there's nothing, again, that surprises you. You know about everything before it even happens. And so you're not surprised by this, but you, God, are already at work to bring about the best for all of us. And so we give you thanks for that. And we pray that in all of these things and in the life of our church, that Jesus Christ would be lifted up and exalted um, because he is the one that we worship and we're grateful lord jesus for your love and care for us in christ's name we pray amen